This week on the Koshcast, we are joined by Serie A aficionado Tarek Abdullah for an Italy special. How will Juve adapt to Sari? Are Inter title contenders with Conte? Why are Roma such a shambles? And why is Ancelotti's eyebrow at that angle? All this and much, much more. Join us. Aficionado and great friend to the coach. Tarek, how are you? Hello, Alex and Bernie. How are you guys doing? Good. C- can we just say that Tarek was our intramural coach, but he's not like 20 years older than us. He's literally <laughs> <laughs> like our age. So uh, <laughs> just Bernie, in case the listeners were confused. Bernie calls me the coach father, if you guys want to know. <laughs> you guys can call me Tarek. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> So I, I, know, I know he's he's your age. I'm just trying to kind of establish the hierarchy here, you know. Like, <laughs> Definitely. The different levels of authority. Um, he's a sorry to my uh, Ronaldo. Yeah, or that, or Owen to my share. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So, um, Tarek, you have very kindly uh, put together an agenda for us today. Um, obviously. Mostly we cover the Premier League. We dip into Serie A and La Liga, but Serie A is is the league that that you have followed um, through your fandom with Juventus. Um, so we're going to dive into uh, each of the the top six teams, the big six. Uh, go through their kind of their summer, their transfer window, their prospects, what what's going on with them this season. Um, so if we start with the big one and your favourite, Juventus. What is the going into this season, which has just started? What would you say is the biggest topic among Juve fans right now? Uh, first of all, I want to thank you guys for putting me under the cosh. I've been a fan for since the pilot episode, and you guys do a fantastic job covering all the leagues and Serie A, and uh, it's an honor to be on. And like you said, I'm a Juventus supporter. I've been a Juventus and Serie A supporter for the past 20 years, most of my life. And um, Juventus has had a pretty rough summer, a lot of highs and lows, as you guys obviously know. And um, we changed our coach, and uh, the very successful Massimiliano Allegri, who after winning five Scudetti and four Coppa Italias and reaching two Champions League finals, which nobody expected them to reach, um, they decided to change philosophy and uh, instead of being on the back foot, especially in European competitions, they opted for a more progressive manager. And they hired uh, former Chelsea and Napoli coach, Maurizio Sarri. And I think all of you guys are familiar with his football, with his time in Napoli and uh, Chelsea. But it's a complete difference in philosophy, in how they approach the game and how they perform. So it's, uh, it's pretty different. And there's a lot of teething phases expected for the team. And there's a, been a lot of transfer activity, as you know. Like, uh, we bought a lot of players. And uh, one of them, the high-profile one, is Matthias Delict, 
and uh, obviously he was very sought after. He was a golden boy. He was the first defender to win the Golden Boy Award, and um, uh, he chose Juventus when a lot of other premier clubs in Europe were chasing him. And I love the fact how the Dutch media just assumed that he's a Dutch talent and he has to end up in Barcelona, which kind of irks me, to say the least. Um, yeah, so mainly the transfer market, you know, that we got Adrian Rabiot on a Bosman and we signed Aaron Ramsey because our midfield has really lacked legs, ability to hold on to the ball and possession, and they're duly required. And um, uh, that's the main issue there. But honestly, for the Mauricio Sarri system, as you guys know, and you guys experienced him at Chelsea, and I want your input about what you think his time at Chelsea was or wasn't. But um, Sarri's system is based on possession football, verticality, playing very narrow between the defensive line and the offensive line. But I have a lot of skepticism at how he'll be able to implement this system at Juve. Clearly, Juventus are winning all the time, and they need to win only the Champions League to complete their set. But there's a lot of issues with able to the ability to press, the ability to run the ability to implement the system because Cristiano Ronaldo and Mario Mandzukic and Gonzalo Higuain are not players that can run and press. You know, they're not the Salahs and Sterlings and stuff like that and Insignia's Mertens. So I think there's a lot of difficulties that we'll face, but they're embarking on this journey. And I wanted to know, what do you think of his time at Chelsea? Um, I think I think his time at Chelsea overall, well, it ended well, um, you know, with the Europa League and finishing third. Um, but I don't think a lot of Chelsea fans would be would have been sad to see him go. He didn't embrace um, the club. He didn't embrace what the club was all about, although some people might say that that's actually a good thing. Um, but he didn't endear himself to the fans. I don't think he endeared himself to many players. So the fact that they got third and they got the Europa League maybe could have been a function of just the, comp- the level of competition below them being bad. Because, for example, Tottenham went on a huge slide. Um, terrible, terrible performance in the last three months of the season. Um, United went on a slide of their own um, after picking it up. Uh, and then Arsenal really should have been in, in the top four, and then they messed it up. So they really got in there because everyone else was just bad. And they had all the advantages, and he just couldn't put it together. But at the end of the day, it worked out. So... I'm not sure people really warm to his style of football. I'm not sure that he did himself to the fans. And I think a lot of people believe that they were lucky rather than they were actually uh, good. Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, you know, Bernie, I think that's fair. I don't think he did a bad as job, a bad job as a lot of people thought he did. But I also wouldn't, uh, wouldn't call it spectacular. And there were clearly issues with getting the team to play how he wanted. I mean, he only had a year to do so. And there were a lot of players there that didn't really fit his purpose. The problem is that that is also the case at Juventus. Like as Tarek mentioned, there are a lot of players there who cannot necessarily, or you wouldn't necessarily pick to, to fit his system. Uh, with the the old forwards, with the pressing, some of the the defenders, um, you know, not necessarily being the best the best passers. I'm um, thinking of, of you know the right backs, uh, Danilo and and De Silva. Um, yeah, there are just there's just a, a few players that are a bit of an odd fit for him, and I'm not sure the recruitment this summer has really been that joined up necessarily. Like there are a lot, a lot we've covered this before. Juventus 
have a lot of central midfielders now. Um, Tarek, Too I'm much. wondering just just on the, on that point, like presumably there will be three starting each game, but you have about nine. Who who are the, <laughs> who are the first three, and then who do you see as part of the kind of you know how a team has like a first eleven and then the one or two that always come in? Yeah. Like who are those guys? Yeah, we have like I don't know, like nine or nineteen. I just can't keep track. Um, honestly, the ideal starting lineup for us in midfield would be Miralem Pjanic and Regista uh, Roll or the center defensive midfielder. And you'd have uh, on the left, you'd have Adrian Rabiot, who I'm very high on because I think that he didn't play for half a season, but he has great qualities and abilities on the ball. And he's very, he has legs and he can recover the ball. And on the right would be Aaron Ramsey. But clearly both players haven't started. Ramsey's still recovering perpetually. <laughs> um, but uh, presumably it would be Rabiot and Ramsey along with Pjanic and uh, Khedira and uh, Mathieu D and uh, Bentancourt would be subs for those positions. And um, Emery Chan would be the fill for Pjanic. But that's another story. Sorry, sorry. Can I just jump in and ask you, um, that doesn't sound like a midfield that's particularly physical, right? It sounds like a midfield that's potentially very creative. And I know Rabiot, you know, he actually does a lot more defensive work than people give him credit for. But if it's, I mean, it sounds to me like the defense, to me, if the lit starts, you have some positional issues, and then you're asking Giannis to play a deep-line playmaker and be the last-line defense, which would be a bit dangerous, no? But, is that is that not a concern in Juventus? Uh, Definitely, especially with the Sari system where you have a high line. I think we're still we're finding that there's still issues implementing the system. Um, you're definitely exposed when you play a high line. And uh, Rabiot and Ramsey, they're not physical players, to say the least. Rabiot can. I think he can. But I think Ramsey, I think um, even Kedira, I think those players are not suited for that system. But the system is predicated on defending with your strikers, defending with your attacking players as opposed to defending with your defenders. But uh, at the sense, I feel that Delict and uh, Bonucci, I think they'll be able to develop the chemistry. I think I think Delict is used to playing with a high light. He might not be the quickest or the strongest, but he has positional awareness, which hasn't reflected, obviously, in the last game. But I think that Delict will be fine in that system. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it, his first his first performance was a bit tragic, but then as we as we said last week, there wasn't a defender on the pitch that had a that had a good game defensively last week against and, Napoli. Yeah, and Alex, it was about the delict. I know it's very annoying on Twitter or wherever hearing all these like he's like the most criticized defender like since probably Van Dijk, obviously. But like um, he was thrown into that Napoli game and he hasn't played before with the team. He was playing with Bonocci, who they never play as a partnership. He doesn't know the language. And he's facing an attacking team like Napoli. Obviously, there were some drawbacks to it. And he's not physically fit. That's why he didn't start the first game. And I think that that's the easiest part, to be physically fit and aware. I think he'll definitely pick on and he'll be a great, great defender for us. I, I just think, Tarek, yeah. I, think, I think that's a very, very good point. And I think he is a good defender. But for me, it's a little bit like he may just become my next agenda. And only because I said this during the season last year, that his positional awareness was not good. 
that his actual foot speed one-on-one and one-on-one defending is not good. And he's 19. He's going to learn. He's going to develop. He's going to grow. And probably learning under Chiellini and Bonucci is going to be, you know, the best education that he can get. Because to me, on their day, those were two of the best defenders in the world. But there was a lot of hype about a kid who scored headers and gave a speech in front of a million people. But the actual defending that he did on the pitch was actually subpar. So I'm, I was just not here for all that hype. I think he has a long way to go. It's, it's a bit like a guy who, who we were discussing earlier, which is Marcus Rashford, in that you can come, come out the blocks really hot as an 18, 19-year-old, but you have to learn. And I'm not sure Delit is worth the hype that people are giving if he hasn't learned it yet. Um, it's a, says says the Man U fan with Maguire. <laughs> no, but honestly, I get your point. But the thing is about, uh, I think Matthias, is he showed that he has, normally defenders at that age, they have physical capabilities. They're fast, they're strong, they're quick. And, you know, they're like reckless. They don't know. But I completely disagree on that point. I think that Matthias has a great defensive awareness, positional sense. He has great ability to, to know when to stay on his feet and when to go down for a tackle. And, you know, and the composure he has, like he was playing in the biggest game in the Champions League. He was marking Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Kane. And, uh, and we, I distinctly remember when they were playing against Tottenham, they were picking out Daily Blind every single cross because the elect was clearing Harry Kane. He held his own against Ronaldo. He has the physical capabilities to develop himself. I honestly think that the fact that he's in Italy and he chose the Italian football where they appreciate defenders, I think that, you know, Marino, he said it after that Juventus game. He was like, Cellini and Bonucci are like professors in defending. So I think that says it all. Yeah, but except that he allowed Lucas Moore to make him a complete idiot in the biggest game of his career. So I'm Bernie. not... I, I, no, I get you. I get you. I think actually said he's a good player. But don't even if we, even if we talk about people like Maguire, those guys are born their careers than Delit, and Delit still has made Duran, even against England, the nation he was at fault for two goals. So I'm just saying, I think he's a good player. But all I'm saying is, this hype that came with him, people just need to relax. Let him grow. Let him learn. Let the professor. Let him do his thing. Don't give him too much pressure, and he'll be fine. But for right now, no, not it. I, Bernie, uh, just, I just, 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 uh, just keep this in your back pocket uh, until Lucas Moura like sprints past Harry Maguire and sorts <laughs> it. <in the> <laughs> and, and don't compare him to Sergio Ramos, please. That's the only thing. Have your opinion. <laughs> Who do you think is better, Sergio Ramos or Delit? Because I think it's Delit. Delit. Give him three years, he'll be much better than Sergio Ramos will ever be. <laughs> this we can all agree on. <laughs> yes, I think we're all there. Something I, I just want to touch on, um, we have a couple more minutes on, on Juve. Something I just want to touch on is that kind of under the radar, Juve have actually strengthened a lot in defense, um, at least at, at centre-back, because... They also spent like another 50 or so million on two other young centre-backs in the summer. One is Christian Romero, uh, who I think they loaned back to Genoa, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not wrong. And the other is, is Meri Demiral, who they brought in from their basically feeder club, Sassuolo. Um, and Demiral is, is, in Italy at least, a very, very kind of well-known and, and exciting prospect. And a lot of people outside of Italy uh, aren't too aware of him, but Tarek, how excited are you about Demaral and Romero? And um, is that the sign that next season is really, or this season is really the last one for the Bonucci-Chiellini axis? 
Um, that's a very good point, honestly, because I think that uh, Chiellini, he might be towards the end, especially with his latest ACL injury. But um, for Bonucci, I, think, I still think he has a couple of years left in him, and he will be very integral to like helping, keeping the transition more smooth. But uh, yeah, definitely, Dermaral is. I've seen what I've seen of him. He's very good. He's very strong. He has a physical presence. He he can head the ball. Um, actually, I read that Juventus were interested in him even when he was in Turkey in his club. I think it's Antalya Spor, and they actually worked out with Sassuolo to buy him <laughs> one of those shady deals. And then, like, if we like him, we'll just buy him off you. <laughs> so so they've had their eye on him. And Cristiano Romero is also another up and coming left back who they've loaned back to Genoa. So there's a lot of options in defense, and the future is promising. But um, I think that they'll depend on Chilean policy for the now. Fair enough. Okay, and then, and then lastly, um, we've we've spoken a lot about who Juve have brought in. Let's talk for a minute about who they've sold or who they've tried to sell, because clearly the the Ronaldo deal and the finances that were involved with that meant that this this summer you have tried to sell a lot of players to to rebalance the books. Um, initially, Juve tried to sell Higuain, but he couldn't. He didn't want to go, and no one else could could really agree a, a deal with him, as far as I understand. Um, you tried to sell Dybala very publicly. Uh, you have sold Cancelo, which, from the outside, is honestly mind blowing. Especially, you've traded him for Danilo, who I know has made a good start, but in terms of the quality of the players, I, I don't think they're comparable. Um, so it's been an interesting summer, and I, I'm wondering what you think the effect of trying to sell these guys might have on the squad morale when you know someone like Dybala who thought he he had a great future with the club thought he was an important player and then all of a sudden finds himself publicly on the transfer list uh, yeah definitely Alex uh, this summer is basically anything that's not nailed down <laughs> is up for sale and it's been it's been very frustrating as a Juventus supporter because normally our management has foresight and they plan ahead like when they when they sold Pogba, they bought Pjanic beforehand. Um, honestly, this it's been disastrous because they've tried to sell so many players. They re-signed Kadira and Mandzukic to new contracts this year, and they were hoping to sell them on with with, with you know with a with a transfer fee. But then they realized there's no market for them, and then they realized the players they had market for, they, the players did not want to go there. So like you know, I heard that Mandzukic was offered to like three four clubs. One of them during Borussia Dortmund. The same thing with Kadira. Who I think should be playing in the MLS, to be honest, but that's me. And um, uh, and uh, not only that, like Dybala, I think that Dybala was uh, the last straw because when they initially thought Higuain would be offloaded, and Higuain was so adamant that he would prove his worth and he was going nowhere. And this, the problem, Alex and Bernie, with these players is they have high salaries, so it's difficult to convince a player who's on high salary and they're playing in a club that they like to leave to another club which will pay less and they don't like. So, like, it was pretty much disastrous. And then they got to a point where they needed profit, so they had to sell both Moise Kane and Cancelo, which were disastrous in my opinion. And then when they couldn't sell the other players, they opted for Dybala, and it was like a mad rush the last week where the EPL teams were rushing to get him, but Dybala just refused. He stood his ground. But sorry, can I can I just jump? the the problem with the Dybala one, and this is I agree with you in that Juve have been showing a, a lack of sense, at least when it comes to getting rid of players. Because Cancelo, I thought it was a good player. Getting rid of him didn't make sense. But the Dybala one would have made more sense to me if they wanted to sell him for straight up cash and not bring in a replacement. They were there. They were almost there, if not for the fact that he asked for 400k a week. 
but to United. They wanted to sell, um, trade him for Lukaku, which oh I didn't God. understand. I thought, I, I forget Lukaku. Forget a, a trade for Dybala didn't make sense to me if you're trying to balance the books. Because a player like Lukaku demands the same amount of money, or if not more, than um, Dybala. Like, that's what he's going to ask for, right? So if there's a wage issue, you're not solving that. You're just adding another problem. So I, I'm not sure this Ronaldo thing was their problem. I just, I'm not, I just don't think that they knew what the hell they were trying to do. Um, Birdie, you, you make a very good point. I think there's two different situations here. The Mandzukic, Higuain, and, and those players, and even Emery Chan, they, was, they wanted to sell them simply because they had too big of a roster. When it came to Dybala, Cancelo, and Moise Ken, those players had very little amortized cost left on the books. So if they were able to sell them, it would be more of a profit. And even if you buy Lukaku, even if, you, if it comes in at a high number, you can divide it over the years of the contract, and it's better on the books. So you're like basically just solving uh, today's problem by dumping it on to tomorrow. So like you're just basically balancing the books for FFP, which Juventus has a kind of a problem with because they signed Delict and Ronaldo. But I think the Lukaku, I was just happy that Lukaku just didn't come to Juve, honestly. But uh, yeah, Dybala just didn't want to leave. And finally, Alex, um, uh, about the team chemistry, definitely. I think that Juventus' locker room was sacred and they had a team unity. And I think now with all these players, knowing the management wanted them out, I think it's going to have some adverse effects that we might see in the future. Okay, that'll be interesting to look out for. Um, What I want to do now is uh, we've covered a lot. There are obviously a lot of negative points that, that we've pointed out and things that have gone not as well as, as Juve would have liked over the summer. Does anyone think that they will not win Serie A despite all of this? <laughs> I actually have my hands up and I yeah. actually want to defend Serie A because I, everyone makes it out like all the other top leagues are like five teams like killing each other for the title. Bayern Munich win the league every year. Barcelona won seven out of the last ten La Ligas. I know that they do better in Europe, but um, even the Premier League, it's like City, and then like just like City, maybe Liverpool, and um, <laughs> and I actually think that this year is probably the most open since the Zlatan last year in Milan, which I think was the 2010-2011. So I think that there's actually going to be a good competition this year. I no, I, I so. agree. I actually agree with you, I, but but when it comes down to it, are you going to win the league or not? Yes. Um, uh, I'm actually not going for Juve, honestly, this year. With Sari and okay. the transition, I actually think that they're not. I'll tell you later on. Okay, well, uh, I, think, I think I know who you're going to say, possibly, uh, and I think I know who's going to run them closest. And for me, it's, it's Inter Milan. So can Ooh. we go there next? <laughs> oh, I call them uh, JV, Juventus Varsity. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, uh, and why? Um, they basically took our uh, CEO, Beppe Marotta, and now they took our ex-manager, Antonio Conte. It's actually very frustrating as a Juve fan, but they're basically now a properly run club. Uh, sorry, are, yeah, are, I... they, are they really? Because Marotta is supposed to be the genius, right? They did a lot with transfers and, and, and whatnot. And Conte, sure, they won, I think, two titles with you and did nothing in Europe. But I, I, I don't understand the hype around Inter Milan when their signings have just been, who cares? 
And then it's actually they've been it's it, it gone from who cares to what are you doing. I don't see uh, that improve the playing squad at all. Okay, uh, Tarek, I'll let you take this. Uh yeah, I completely disagree, honestly, because Antonio Conte is a lot of things, and he might be very difficult on management, but he brings out the best out of his team, and we saw that with Italy in the Euros. And we saw that also with uh, Chelsea when the team was basically... I know they won the league the year before that, but the fact that he took the players, the assembly of players, and he motivated them, and he brought the best out of them. And his system, the 3-5-2, he made it kind of in vogue in the Premier League for a bit of time. So I think that if he has the players, he can motivate them. He can bring up their physical athleticism and levels. And I think he can actually bring the best. I think he can compete I, I would agree with that. And I also think, Bernie, that that while there have been some signings that, that you're kind of one can be indifferent about, I actually think they've made some very under the radar sensible signings. So for example, uh I mean Godin is, is arguably too old, but as as a short term solution he's gonna add, you know, experience and, and know how at the back, especially in a three, I think that's fine. Uh Biragi at left back is an upgrade. Uh, Barella and Sensi are two of the best central midfielders in Serie A last season now playing in the same central midfield for Inter I think that's a huge upgrade and Lukaku like whatever you think of him and, and I noticed that Capello came out the other day and said Lukaku is not world class but Alexis Sanchez could make all the difference which which feels you know, I'm not going to call it racist but <laughs> it feels like an odd, an odd thing to say uh, but Capello I, I haven't really respected in, in a while since he took the England job um, Whatever we think of Lukaku, he's going to score a lot of goals. And like he, he guarantees you 20-plus goals a season. So I think I, Alexis Sanchez is, is a bit of a weird one. Um, if you think that he can be revived, then obviously he would contribute a lot. If you think he's a busted flush, like I would lean towards, then he may he may just take some time away from Lautaro Martinez. But either way, I think Inter have improved their team a lot over the summer. Sorry, let me tell you why I, I disagree slightly. I mean, yes, they have improved slightly. With Godin, that's a good defender. If you're playing three at the back and you're doing Godin, DeVry, and Skriniar, that's that's not bad at all, right? But, yes, Barella um, was really, really highly rated. That's fine. Sensi, I don't know too much about it. I can't talk about that. But, Barua Samoa. I think he's been there since last season. He's not going to cut it. Then you have Latoro. No one knows if he's actually very good or not. We'll find out. Alexis, done. Lukaku is a good striker. I wrote an article about Lukaku and compared to Latad. I was a big fan. But over his career has shown in the big games, does not show up. It doesn't happen. He didn't score a goal outside of the group stage in the World Cup. So what we're talking about is you need to make up, a, I think it was a 30-point gap or something like that. A 21-point gap on Juventus. The players that they've brought in are not going to overturn a 21-point gap. It's not enough. Icardi is a better striker than Lukaku. And you throw him away for good reason, by the way, because he's an asshole. I give you that. But that's a dip in quality right there. Alexis Sanchez is a dip in current quality over Perisic. Not overall. He's a better player overall. But the Alexis Sanchez that I've been watching for the last two years doesn't even hold a candle to Perisic. So in those two main positions, you downgraded, in my opinion, and you're asking to overturn a 20-point gap? I don't think so. 
Well, um, I, I would argue though that sorry, sorry, Tarek. Just, I, I would argue that uh, the Perisic position doesn't exist anymore because of the this formation switch. Um, Icardi last season, I think, got 11 goals in the league. So yeah, quality-wise, Lukaku is a downgrade technically, but he'll get more than Icardi did last season. And while the 21-point gap is a, is a huge thing to overcome, uh, I think there's going to be a bit of a drop-off from Juventus. So I don't think it's a 21-point gap that they're going to have to make up. Exactly. You couldn't have said it better, Alex, honestly, because I'm, I honestly am very optimistic about Inter. Last year was kind of a year from hell because they had a lot of bad apples in the locker room, whether it's Golan and Perisic and uh, Icardi. And the fact that Spalletti didn't even know what he was doing and he was just rambling on with the media and like the Swanda in the background. So, and it's basically it was a difficult year and they lost a lot of easy games. And like we, and people forget that in the Champions League, they did well. They, all, they were supposed to go through had it not been for a couple of blips in the group stage with Tottenham and Barcelona. But honestly, the fact that Antonio Conte came, he implemented the system, he had his vision. And uh, the fact that their defense is probably one of the best, if not the best, defense in Italy with Skriniar, De Vrij, and uh, Godin might not play a lot of games, but with the, those two and with the third defender, whether it's D'Ambrosio or whoever it may be, and the fact that they have this 3-5-2, I think that they'll be very difficult to beat, and that's very important when you're trying to win the title. And not only that, I think that, that they're going to win the games that they're supposed to. And there's also another thing that Juventus, I think that Juventus are going to drop down. I think they're not going to be able to win those games that they used to against Inter, against Napoli, and I think there's going to be some parity in that sense. So I completely disagree. I think that Barella and Sensi are fantastic additions. They're both one of the most up-and-coming Italian midfielders. Barella was the most touted player. I think Chelsea were trying to sign him when, before they got banned. And uh, Stefano Sensi, who came from Sassuolo, he showed his worth because the first two games, he's probably been their best player. And uh, he showed a lot of technique, a bell eye for goal. And I honestly think I'm very optimistic with that. And I think Sanchez, is not going to be a starter. And Lautaro has such high expectations. He played well in the Copa. And last year, he showed that he can score goals. And Lukaku, like you said, finally, Lukaku can score goals. We make fun of him, his control. The Italian league is slow, more slow-paced. I think it will suit him. I think he'll have more chances and more time to show his abilities. And I think that Lukaku is going to be a fantastic addition for him. I just think for Lukaku to succeed at Inter, he has to do something that he has never done his whole career, and that is score goals in big games. He's never, ever done it. The statistics are there. He's never, ever done that, Tarek. And you're asking him to finally do that here? Don't see it. Don't yeah, see it. I, think, I, think, I, think, I think Conte is a coach to bring it out of him. And I think Manu, I think a lot of players in that, Manu, that last couple of years in Manu, I think some of them we realized were much worse than they actually are and much better than they actually are because of the environment. Now I'm talking about not just United, but at Belgium. In that World Cup, they were so fantastic to not score a goal outside the group stages. I don't think he has the mental fortitude to do it. And if that's carrying your attack, I don't know. I think that's yeah, the World Cup, normal Serie A match. I think there's a big difference. <laughs> I think Lukaku will be fine. As a Juve fan, I, I'm probably the most biased person to talk about Inter, and I think Lukaku will fit. I think he's I think he's kind of too underrated at this point. You know, I, I was never high on him, but I think that now people will see him show his true potential. Oh, you mean you mean football fans have taken an extreme opinion? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Alex, I've never talked this unbiased about Inter, so we need to move on. 
<laughs> okay, I think I think it's a good time. So I'm I'm gonna say that Inter are gonna finish first or second. Uh, Tarek. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think Inter are gonna win the league. Honestly, it's ah! difficult to say. Honestly, I think it's going to be a three-way race. Like It's kind of like, I don't want to be cliche, but I think Inter, Napoli, and Juve are going to run each other to the end. I think the only difference is maybe the European exertion and the implementation of Saudi system. So if it goes well and it's like Juve just end up always winning, you know, they might end up winning it. But I think it's like, I would give it like a 40% chance for Inter. Yeah, I think Inter, I think Inter are going to finish third. That's that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and before we move on from Inter... Uh, there was an incident, uh, you know, we've been talking about Lukaku. There was an incident uh, last weekend uh, at Cagliari who, um, whose fans have uh, subjected numerous black players to racist abuse over the, over the past few years. Um, we have to touch on it. It was obviously disgraceful, uh, incredibly predictable, but... Tarek, as someone who's followed Serie A for, for years... Uh, you'll have seen the, the, you know, you'll have known all the incidents that have happened. Um, you'll have seen the response from the League of the Italian Football Federation. Where, where are we at now? What, how bad is this situation? And do you have any hope for it getting any better? That's very, very tough, and it's a tough topic to talk about. Honestly, um, uh, first of all, racism is not a football issue; it's a societal issue. And uh, I think, as football fans, it's our purgatory from all of these issues. It's a meritocracy where it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or where you hail from. It's about how you perform on the field. And I think it's taking out of the joy out of the game. And I think the Italian Federation is just a colossal, just, it's just a microcosm of their ineptitude because there's so many issues that they haven't tackled. And this is probably the most stained on their name. They've tried to promote their league, but every time they have these instances, it just puts a black eye on the league. And um, the Sardini, I, I, I wouldn't say that Cagliari is all racist or Italy is all racist, but there is a portion of fans that are continued to be able to perform these acts at stadiums and not be punished, whether it's a federation. And the federation's position is there saying that we don't have a match report. It's not mentioned in the match, match report what took part in the uh, Sardinia arena. And um, uh, when, it comes to the, when it comes to the stewards, and uh, the fans, they're not being empowered to take action because I think even the president of Cagliari, Tommaso Giellini, he came out with a statement which was absolutely rubbish and they were basically putting blame on everyone else except them. And they, although they condemned the act, but they were basically parsing the blame elsewhere. And I think that the only way for it to be solved is they have to have cameras and the technology, which is very rudimentary for Premier League standards. And I think only the Juventus Arena, the Allianz Arena, has that technology where they can actually see the fans and the sections and they can identify the fans that are doing that. But it's not implemented in Italy. And I think it's just a complete failing of the system, not being able to stop the match. Because I remember last year in Boxing Day, there was a match between Inter and Napoli. And it was the first time that they had a match on Boxing Day in a long time. So, and then they had the Kalido Kolibali chance. And then he got sent off. And then even then after that, there was no proper action taken against the people that were doing that. So I think that it's a systemic issue. I think the bureaucracies, I think Italian Federation are hiding behind those bureaucracies and the way from FIFA, they can't even take action. So I think that although that there are more promising signs in terms of the responses and the pressure that social media and the internet following can have, but honestly, I think that the problem persists and it would be very difficult to change people, let alone football fans. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely spot on. I, 
I, I do think that it's not just a Serie A thing. We're seeing it kind of come into the Premier League, at least in the limelight more and more now. But the fact is, there's not enough, there's not strong enough action. Calgary have had 12 players complain about racist chanting in the last four years. That's a disgrace. If, the, if Serie A is not ready to give a stadium ban to Calgary fans, then they're not being serious. You can't have an environment where black players go know that they go to a specific place and they're going to get racist chants. We talked about this when Lukaku left United, where some of us were upset because we saw he didn't want to fight for his place. And I remember specifically saying, he's going to go over there. I'm going to get racist abuse. And it happened on his second game. Like we, It's gotten to the point where we know this is going to happen and we're predicting it, as Alex said, and it comes to pass. You can't live in a society where we know this is going to happen. You need, if you know, and I know, then that means actually you should be empowered to do something about it more so than you have previously. So and it's, Bernie, it's a I, I, disgrace. And Bernie, uh, to that point, they actually have a hotline, anonymous hotline for fans. Because I think the only way you can stop it is you have fans who are empowered to actually stop sections that are doing these racist chants. But I think the thing is, is it's, accepted you know it's a very disgusting thing to think about but it's kind of accepted what they are doing and i think that the only way like you said is they have to have a stadium ban to make sure that they can actually take effect because if i'm a fan and i'm not doing anything and i see that we i can't watch my next match i'm i feel that it's my obligation to actually report anything and i think the last point sorry alex um the corva nord which are the intra ultras they put out a statement on twitter and they were talking yeah. about uh, how the uh, how it's perceived, and they're like basically talking down to Lukaku. They're like, "This is not racism. This is how we treat our opponents, and this is a kind of a sign of a, a compliment. And this is the, we want to help our team win." And it was so delusional. Oh my goodness, it was so disgusting and delusional. And they actually were basically telling him that this is our way, and don't take it this way. And like I'm like, first of all, you talk to the person who's racially abused. You don't. We don't need your opinion, Interfans. And the, and, and, the, and the second thing is is that it just shows that there's no awareness and how they completely acceptable this in their society. Yeah, it, it was it was a bizarre statement. It was a disgraceful statement. It was, yeah, you're right. It, it smacked of ignorance, um, and it, it sounded like a group of people who uh, are e- either willfully ignorant or need to be educated, um, because you know saying. For them to say this isn't racist obviously makes no sense. They're not in any position to do so. Um, so, you know, e- either they're, they're, they're willfully ignoring the, the racist elements or they just don't really understand it. And e- either way, either way, it needs to be sorted out because it's, it's such a shame when we talk about Italian football. It's almost impossible at this point to talk about Italian football without having to have a conversation about racism because that's the frequency with which these incidents are occurring. Okay, um, so we've so far discussed uh, the, the the teams that we think are going to, well, Tarek and I think are going to finish first or second. Bernie, you think Inter Milan are going to finish third, which means that presumably you think that Napoli are going to finish second. Um, we need to speed up uh, on each team just a little bit. But let's talk about Napoli. Um, Bernie, why don't, why don't you lead us off, given the, these guys are your favorite? Yeah, I I like what, I like Napoli as, as the closest challengers to Juventus. I still think Juventus are going to be um, much better um, than than the rest. But the reason I think so is because, one, they have Carlo Ancelotti, who is a 
brilliant manager as far as I'm concerned. Conte is a brilliant manager too. Um, I don't I don't pick between them in terms of who's better. Um, but there's a system in place now. They've had a year with him. They've all bedded in. You don't have any characters who are really upset. You're not going to have any a lock a dressing room to win over. But at the same time, there's also quality in that squad from front to back. Um, maybe Manolas is suspect, but he will he'll get you a goal. So he's a Sergio Ramos of Greece, I guess. But <laughs> generally, the team has Alan, who's one of the best defense midfielders in the world, and he goes under the radar completely. Um, forward line, I like what they're doing. Milik, is, he, he scores goals when he's fit. It's keeping him fit is the issue. But then they brought in Lozano, who is an unbelievable football player. I can't believe, well, Alex, you know how I feel about this kid. And I can't believe other clubs were not interested. It might be the Mina Raiola thing. Um, but this yeah. kid is simply unbelievable. And when I look at the contenders, I look at Inter Milan and what they have in that in that uh, forward um, spot with Mertens, with Insigne, um, with Lozano, with Milik. It just overpowers what every other team except the Juventus have, as far as I'm concerned. And the solidity of Alan and Zelinski in the middle, oh, there's balance, and that balance is going what you're going to need over the course of 38 games. For so for me. This team did a lot of good things. Maybe they could have fought harder for a Cardi because you can't guarantee Millet's fitness or another striker. But other than that, I'm very impressed by what I see and just the stability of this squad. Tarek? Um, yeah, uh, Napoli, I'm very optimistic of them too. Um, they've not lost any players, which is very critical for a team the size of Napoli. Um, they've bolstered their squad and they bought Costas Manolas. And I'm really, I really think he's a good defender, and he complements Koulibaly a lot. Because while Koulibaly is more positionally aware and he's, and he's a, just a better defender, Costas is quick and he can recover. And I think it's a great partnership that they have. And um, uh, up front, yeah, you said it, Chucky Lozano is a great player. And I think Napoli has continuity, which the other clubs don't. So I think that Napoli, given Ancelotti's ability to get his, his thoughts across, and they still have elements of Sarri, I think that Napoli are a very solid outfit. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And and Bernie, yes, um, completely agreed on, on Lozano. I think he's a wonderful addition. Cannot wait to see uh, him interacting with the, the others in that front line. And, and what's going to be really interesting is to see whether he can actually dislodge any of them. Because those three, I know Ancelotti often plays in a 4-4-2, but the three, the Mertens, Callahan, um and uh, who am I missing? Insignia, exactly, um, have have been you know these three musketeers for the last few years, and they they interact so wonderfully together. And it will now they for the first time I think have someone who can really challenge to 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 put one of them out of the team, um, not permanently, but you know for the most part. Um, so that's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, uh, Alex, uh, I, just one I, more I, point. Yeah, yeah, you said it perfectly. I and they were trying to get James Rodriguez and Nicola Pepe. And they were like they couldn't get them across, get the deal across the line. But I think uh, Irving Lozano is a perfect player because he just fits in with those like diminutive players who are good on the ball, and they play such amazing football. You cannot understate that. Yes, and this season they also have the option to to lump it long in the last few minutes because they they brought in Fernando Llorente, so that's going to be fun as well. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm saying they finished third. Bernie, you're saying second. Tarek third. 
yeah, I, I couldn't put Yumi third. That would be tough. Okay, fair enough. So, um, in that case, let's move on. Tarek, who do you think is going to round up the Champions League positions? Who's going to finish fourth in Serie A this season? Um, yeah, that's kind of difficult. You know, like now the fourth place is like the one that's more up for grabs, kind of like the Premier League. Um, I think, honestly, Lazio. And it's kind of an out-of-field shout. Ooh. Because uh, I think they have continuity. And like the top six teams, so-called top, top six teams in Italy, four of them have changed managers. And like Lazio is the one that they kept Simone Inzaghi. They kept their better players. I think that Milinkovic Savic, he doesn't have a World Cup behind him. I think he's going to have a fabulous season. And I think we also saw um, their players forming out. I think that they showed against in the Rome Derby that they're able to attack and they're able to implement their football. I think last year was a great shot to be fourth with my team. I, I don't know. It's up in the air as far as Lazio concerned for me. And Lazio, they have okay. this amazing attacking players. Joaquin Correa, Luis Alberto. Just remember the names. All right. Something to watch out for. Um, let's then uh, go through the, the few teams that will be competing with Lazio for that fourth spot. Let's start with uh, AC Milan. Um, there's a bit of, of ownership context that we'd like to put this in. So, Tarek, can you tell us um, who, the, who the Milan owners are, uh, when, that, when that takeover happened, and uh, I guess what difference it has made to the club since? Uh, yeah, AC Milan, uh, they've had four directors of football in the last four years. I think that says it all. Um, <laughs> they were purchased by, I think everyone knows the story, they were purchased by Lee Hong Young in 2016 for like over 700 million euros. And like people were wondering where this company came and how this person acquired their wealth. And even, even I, there was an article by Tariq, Tariq Panja on the New York Times detailing all of that and how even Chinese government didn't even know who these guys were. And they bought a team of <laughs> the former uh, Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi. So, um, uh, and, then, and then after that, they, they needed cash flow. So they went to Elliott. And Elliott is basically a hedge fund for distressed portfolios. So they're basically a vulture fund. So they needed an injection of cash flow. And they took 200 million euros to satisfy their needs for the transfer market and they started buying players and you Milan fans out of the woodwork say we're gonna get Manuel Neuer and we're gonna get Frank I don't know all these players it was just it was pretty wild and they ended up spending way over their capabilities and um, shortly after two years after um, they defaulted their debt to Elliot and part of the clause of the debt was that Elliot assumed control of AC Milan if they're not able to pay their installments for the 200 million euro debt. And they took over Milan. Imagine buying Milan for 200 million. And um, I think they have to have a Netflix or HBO series on how the hell they, where did the money go? <laughs> so it's a, Elliot, it's a good deal though. It's a good deal yeah, for Elliot, really. Elliot, it's not a good deal. It's an absurd deal. I think if Elliot were in on it or there's some... WikiLeaks is going to come out in the next couple of years and we're going to find out what happened. But Elliot is primarily focused on restoring the image of Milan. They're also focused to getting them back to European competitions and being financially stable. And then they're going to sell them off for a profit. And obviously, AC Milan has the prestige and history behind it. So there's a big context. And like you, we know that AC Milan, they, they basically submitted themselves to CAS and they told them, we don't want to compete in the Europa League, even though they qualified. 
because they felt that they could not meet FFP requirements and they just missed out on being removed from the Europa League the year before. So I think that, um, uh, that AC Milan is in a big rebuilding phase and they changed the sporting director again and they got uh, Boban with uh, Paolo Maldini. Former players, we don't know how good they are, but they brought them in and they even got your boy, Alex, uh, Ivan. <laughs> and, uh, and who knows how to make a profit and increase value than Ivan Gazid. So I think that Milan, and uh, even though that they got uh, this new management, there's no assurance of their progression, but they're buying small players. They're trying to wiggle themselves through FFP. And they got a couple of players. They got Ben Nasser from Empoli, who was a player of the tournament in the AFCON. And they got Ante Ribic, a last-minute signing, who we all remember from the World Cup Croatia finalist team. So they are not a team that you would expect them to compete for the top places, but I think their project is more long-term, so that kind of puts in a context for any AC Milan fan who obviously are living through it. Yeah, I think that's that's really well summarized. I don't think that they will. I would be very surprised if they if they were to make the top four this year. And they they brought in Marco Giampaolo, who did a, a wonderful job at Sampdoria, um, who should bring a little more uh, tactical acumen to them than Gattuso was able to do. Um, they should play better football under Giampaolo. But it, as you said, the signings have been uh, basically what they can afford. Uh, Rafael Leao from Lille might be interesting. He's young, yep. a bit more dynamic than maybe what they had before. Theo Hernandez is a bit of a risk at left back. Again, exciting, yep. but with a lot of, of flaws. So we'll see. As you said, a, a work in progress. Marco Giampaolo, like you said, Alex, he was uh, the heir to Charis Empoli, and he's a great coach. He has a good philosophy too. And I think that's what a lot, you see a lot of coaches now in Italy playing more attacking football, which has contributed to more goals for, and better play. Yeah, I think I think they've got a decent squad. It's it's a little bit of a mishmash of weird things, but it's not that bad. Keeping Romagnoli, there were lots of rumors that he could leave, but then they put their foot down on that. Obviously, keeping Donnarumma is, is important. Um, I, I agree. I watched the Afcon, and Benasser is re- he seems really really good. Um, but except for him in the midfield, I'm confused because I don't know what they want to do with Kessie. They tried to sell him to Wolves. That didn't happen. So I don't know what his position is really going to be. And then their attack, well, Rafael Leal did well at Lille, but he's young. How is he going to adapt to a new country? And Piantec has fallen off a cliff. I don't know <laughs> what happened to this boy, but he was hanging all over the place. And then, like, wow, he has fallen off It's a number nine, but they need him. They, the curse of the number nine, because they actually say Milan, since Filippo Inzaghi retired, every number nine has been a colossal failure. Kind of what, what happened in Chelsea, because they have La Padula, Pato, they had um, all these number nines in uh, Luis Adriano. So I think he's just, I think they even they said Filippo Inzaghi is going to come to Piantec to try to figure out this curse or like, <laughs> or change. Yeah, so I, I think that's all. That's all we have on on Milan. No one predicting uh, Champions League football for them this season, but we'll see how it goes. Um, quickly, then, uh, Atalanta were the surprise package of uh, Serie A last season, or maybe not too much of a surprise if people were paying close attention to them. Um, they had a wonderful season, driven by Duvan Zapata up front. Uh, they finished in the Champions League places, but this season they will now have to contend with being in the Champions League. 
uh, and trying to maintain the, the Serie A form. Uh, Tarek, how impressed were, were you with them last season and do you think they can, they can keep this up? Um, Atalanta were the darlings of Italian football last year. They played such amazing football. I think they're the sixth or seventh highest in the top five European leagues in terms of scoring goals. And that's only behind like Bayern Munich, Dortmund, Barcelona, City and Liverpool, I think. So, and PSG. And um, they have uh, the Gasparini, their coach, who has a brilliant philosophy. He plays attacking football. He plays with a high line. He has the centre-backs moving positions and rotating. And he has this trident of attack with uh, Papu Gomez in the hole. And Ilicic and Zap were terror on all Serie A defences. And they were scintillating. And I think that they haven't lost a lot of players. They've lost a couple, one of them being uh, Mancini, who went to Roma. And um, I think that they're able to cope. And they, are, they added Luis Muriel, who is also another great attacking player. So I think that Atalanta will still be fun. They probably won't be able to finish as high this year because of the Champions League. But um, I think that they'll do well. And I just think that, especially for people who are supporting Manchester City, they're going to see them play in the same group. And I know, obviously, Guardiola's going to come out and say that this is the best attacking side I've seen and he's going to score four past them. But it'll still be a fun ride. Awesome. We look forward to that. All right. Uh, there are two more clubs that I want to talk about. Uh, one is Roma, one is Fiorentina. Let's start with Roma um, because they finished higher last season. Um, they have gone, uh, you know, we've talked a lot on, on the Koshcast about Monchi and the, the failed Monchi experiment at Roma. Um, they brought him in to, to revamp the squad. He did. Honestly, a, a pretty terrible, <laughs> terrible job. And then Scott scuttled off back to Seville uh, <laughs> to pick up his old position. So they've had to basically redo the squad again this summer. Um, so, uh, Tarek, can you maybe talk us through some of the signings that, they, that they've made and whether you think they'll, they'll, they'll make a, a dramatic difference to Roma or whether we're looking at another battle for you know, Champions League football that, that won't succeed? Um, the latter. I think it's going to be a tough season for Romanisti because they're kind of stuck in between identities because when Monchi came, he came with the identity of like buying young players, taking chances and trying to develop them. And then now they're kind of stuck in trying to like win now. So they re-signed Dzeko. Um, they, they, they bought some players. Um, they bought, um, they bought uh, Mancini and they bought um, Veritu from Fiorentina, who's not kind of young, but uh, he's a player who can do a job. They got Diora, who I'm very high on, from Napoli. And um, they got a couple of pullbacks in Zappacosta and Spinazzola. And um, uh, honestly, I'm not really excited about them. They still have their flaws and they might have their attacking wide. I don't think where their goals are going to come from. They depend normally on color off free kicks or color off penalties. Or like, you know, Jekyll doing it by himself. They have a couple of... And they, they depended really last year on Sharawi, who's not there anymore. And to depend on Under and Kluivert, who are not there. I know they have Mkhitaryan, who they bought from Arsenal, who might be more, you know, experienced. But um, I'm not really high on Roma. And especially on defense, losing Costas Manolas was such a big loss. And uh, he was their best defender. And now that they replaced him with Chris Smalling, <laughs> who don't get me wrong, Chris Smalling is probably one of their better defenders in Roma, but 
but definitely a downgrade, and their defense is just holding on for their for their lives. I'm actually very excited by the prospect of them failing because Alex knows this. I love a good fire sale, and I think one more one more Europa League campaign, and then Zaniolo, Under, they're going to start asking to leave, and I just hope that certain teams have the common sense to pick them up. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a very realistic proposition. I, just looking at the, this transfer window, they started off doing some good business. Like, Vertu is a good signing. Diawara is a good signing. Paul Lopez uh, to come in and goal is, is an upgrade on, on Robin Olsen. Um, Spinazzola is a better fullback than, than they've had in years. I mean, you need to have someone to rotate with 92-year-old Kolarov. And <laughs> the, the Florenzi as a fullback experiment has gone on for far too long. But then the, the Smalling, the Mkhitaryan, the, the, the Kalinic, uh, the Zappacosta stuff, like it's just, it smacks of just opportunity signings to, to cover spots and, and, and short-term planning. And I know that you need, some, you need sometimes you need to plaster over the, over the gaps and, and that's okay, but it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't smack of a team that have planned very well. That said, I actually think they have their best manager uh, since uh, Spalletti was a human being. Uh, it's been <laughs> frustrating as as someone who who has a fondness for for Roma. Uh, we went to see them in in 2016, um, and that was when Spalletti had just taken over for his second stint. He was playing, you know, four uh, three three, very attractive football, or three four three, very attractive football. They were. The next season, on, with the full season under him, they finished comfortably second. They were the best, you know, the second best team in Italy by a mile. Um, and since then, it's just been a, a really big backwards slide, and it's hard to see that changing very much this season. So, Bernie, I think you may be in luck when it comes to your fire sale. And let us just say that whoever ends up with Nicolo Zaniolo is getting a serious, serious player. Definitely. Okay. Uh, last team to talk about then, uh, Fiorentina. And I wouldn't have mentioned them until about a few weeks ago. Um, Tarek, what happened to Fiorentina a few weeks ago, and why are they a bit more interesting now? Um, they were taken over by Rocco Comiso, who is also an owner of the New York Cosmos. And um, he's an avid Serie A fan. And uh, he actually is a Juventini. And he wanted to purchase AC Milan a couple of years ago, but he wasn't able to. So that just says... And he has a plan and vision and he wants to build Fiorentina back into somewhat into a reputable side and they've actually invested in the side they've got what they've the, the biggest struggle that they had was keeping Chiesa because he was linked to Juventus and he was pretty upset because he wanted to make that move so he put his foot down um they've bolstered their squad and they've what's it called they've showed intent to develop their team and I I honestly think that they he actually had talks about building a new stadium and that's something which is kind of like innovative and he he shows great ambition and they signed a couple of good players in Castrovilli and Jerome Boateng and um uh, and others like Martin Caceres so i think that that with their attack with Chiesa and Sotil i think they have, they would be a good outfit and a very attacking team as they showed against Napoli in the first game week Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, are we calling Martin Ca- Martin Caceres a good signing? Does it come to this? <laughs> He's a signing. Let's just put it at that. <laughs> but but they have a couple of good players on their team, so I actually have yes. high hopes on their, play- their youngsters. I'm actually just oh, okay. just looking at the list now. They've made some some 
some fun and interesting signings. So you've got uh, uh, Eric Pulgar, who, who they brought in from Bologna, who's a central midfielder. Obviously, the big one, Frank Ribery, well, the big one in terms of a name is Frank Ribery. Yeah. Uh, so that will be that will be fun. Uh, Milan Badelj is back. Um, and the, can you talk to us for a second about uh, Paul Lirola? Because I don't think he's someone that many people know too much about, but they got him from Sassuolo. And I don't know much about him, but as I understand, he's one of the most promising uh, fullbacks in, in Serie A. Yeah, he is. He's pretty young. He's only around 22. And um, he shows in Sassuolo, their team, he's very attacking. He's, he's good on his feet, and he can put in great crosses. And they actually lacked in the fullback positions because they even played Milenkovic, who was one of their better defenders, as a fullback. So the fact that they got Lirola, who's someone I see that he has great ambition, I think that they've, they've shown signs of improvement as a team. And they also added, sorry, they also added Dragowski, who was not even, not a goalkeeper. He was like a legend last year, and he had a match against Napoli where he saved like 200 shots in a single match. So I think that's, that's definitely an improvement in their team. I just want to, uh, before, before we end, I'm not going to ask anyone where Fiorentina are going to finish because I think that's a basically impossible question. But what I will ask you is to name the month in which Montella will be sacked because this I'm confident of. Um, for me, honestly, TBD. I don't think Montella is going to get sacked. I think he had no? a raw deal. I actually don't. I think that they, he's shown confidence in them. And I think that he's going to last a season, if, at least, I think, because they're not, they don't have the high ambitions as right now. Okay. Bernie? October. October? <laughs> he's got... Oh, my God. He's got, he's got two weeks left there. <laughs> I, I, uh, the last season was horrendous. And I'm not, I'm just not sure... Like Ribery is gonna allow this man <laughs> to breathe. So on top of what was already a horrendous season, and nah, I, I think I think Javi Gracia might be in a job pretty soon. Ooh, ooh, that's a fun shout, actually. Okay, I I'm going to go uh, somewhere in between and say March or April. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I will also say that Fiorentina have the most beautiful kit. Definitely those Toyota kits. Actually, yeah, hold on. Stuff. Does Batis, is Batistuta part of the club? Uh, he he doesn't. He, he He's living in his own life in Argentina, but he shows up once every, like, 10 years. And um, they always have greet him very well. That's what the Fiorentina fans, they have They have such passion for their players and their ex-players. Oh, okay. I, I thought I heard some rumor of him trying to come back or be a manager, and then, yeah, maybe he could take over, and then they would sack him by April. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think there was I think there was a rumor of him coming back to be like a ambassador or a director of football or, or, or something like that but he probably looked at the Totti situation and was like unless I have any you know actual power here <laughs> this is a hiding yeah. thing if if Totti can be a, if Totti can be successful as a director of football with his power I don't think anybody can true and we yeah. all know that Totti actually owns all of Rome <laughs> well, why can't he get them to pick up the garbage? I mean, come on. <laughs> All right, uh, this, that seems like a good a good place to to end it. Um, Tarek, thank you so much for uh, for joining us and for putting the agenda together for this. It's been a lot of fun. Definitely, definitely. I thanks a lot for having me, and I hope to do this again.
Take care, man. All right. Take Cheers. care, guys. Ciao. Thank you for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh. And for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com. 